you don't have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to bring one every Sunday. We're going to use it, all right, like we always have been. Just keep using it. And uh, if you're looking for the book of Jonah, go to the book of Obadiah, and it's right after that. Now, good luck with that one, okay? So, and I would tell you what page number, but we just, uh, all of you have different Bibles in your laps right now. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen. Before we jump in, I want to tell you, um, uh, anniversary Sunday was a couple weeks ago. We celebrated 15 years of being here at Westridge, and um, it, was, it was a great, great morning. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to do on that morning was we wanted to be able to bless another ministry as well. And so we um, took up an offering that morning to uh, be able to buy the uh, Warehouse of Hope. It's a ministry that, uh, is, that we've supported for probably the last 10, 12 years or so. They provide food, clothing, all kinds of things for over 900 families a week. And uh, they have been without a, a walk-in freezer uh, for quite a while and um, just having to turn food away. Well, that morning, we, uh, as a church, we took up an offering and you gave over, at that morning over $16,000 uh, to be able to buy them a freezer. And so um, we had a chance to present uh, Craig Parsons uh, with a check that morning. Now that check, obviously, you can't take into a bank. And um, when we had it made, it said 16500 But since then, we t- took in more and we were able to hand him a check for, for about $18,200 that uh, he was able to cash and um, be able to provide the Warehouse of Hope with a brand new walk-in freezer. Actually, they didn't have one, period. So um, just allows us to be able to engage the community to help a, a great ministry that we've been partnering with to be able to, to take care of the less fortunate in our community. So we are I'm so grateful for your faithfulness, and I love the fact that when we put things like that out in front of you, you all respond to it. Well, this morning, I want to tell you a fish story, and uh, I don't know, I know there's a lot of fishermen in here, and uh, most fish stories that you hear are, um, they're true, but then they become not true very quickly. Um, Over the years, as you hear fish stories, the fish, you're really about this big, but as the story gets, you know, gets going, the fish every time gets, you know, larger and larger, and the fight was, took, you know, longer and longer to reel the fish in, it's bigger and better, better every time it's told, but... This morning's story is probably, uh, I would say, the greatest fish story of, uh, that's ever been told. And the, the great thing about this fish story is it's absolutely true. And because it's found in God's Word, it just always stays the same each time it's told. And it's a story about a call from God by a man, so a call from God on a man to go to a very wicked city. It's a story about a really bad storm. It's a story about, about a really big fish and a guy named Jonah. Now, We're going to just jump right into this this morning. Who was Jonah? Well, the Bible tells us that he was a prophet. And if you know anything about prophets, prophets were um, God's mouthpiece at the time the Bible was, you know, back in the Old Testament. It was God's mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. And during this time, the time of Jonah, God's mouthpiece was not only to Israel, but to a king by the name of Jeroboam II. And in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, God is speaking to Jonah, and here's what he says to him. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, God calls Jonah to go to, this, to, go to one of the greatest cities of the day. It was a city called Nineveh. And if you were uh, one of those folks, uh, and even today, who have you followed um, the, the war that has been taking place in Iraq for um, really, we started kind of in the early 90s, and it's continued to this day, but. Um, you probably uh, have heard news reporters mention a city in northern Iraq called um, Mosul, or Mosul. 
Nineveh is actual, the actual city of Mosul. All right? That is ancient Nineveh. Um, look at verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, let me give you a little background here. Up until this point, everything that God has asked Jonah to do has been within the nation of Israel. It's really been about this one nation and about this one king. Everything was confined to this one, one people group. However, God asks him now, I want you to, he tells him, he says, I want you to leave Israel. I want you to travel over 550 miles. I want you to go east through some very tough terrain. And I want you to go to this very wicked city called Nineveh. Well, instead, as we know, um, Jonah goes west. And he goes down to this little port city, which is in the southern part of what we would know as Tel Aviv today. It's called, back in the day, it was called Joppa. Uh, we know it today as Jaffa. And he gets on a boat and he heads to Tarshish, would have, which would have been the southernmost tip of the nation of Spain, about 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. The Bible says that Jonah tries to flee from the presence of God. Now, here's what we know about, about God and here's what we know just about ourselves. You can never, ever truly flee from the presence of God. Many people have tried to do it, but it just can't be done. Matter of fact, King David talks about this in, in Psalm chapter 139. He makes a point and he makes a case and he says, you know, I've tried desperately to run away from God. I've tried to run from God's presence, but everywhere I go, I still find him. Everywhere I turn, he's there. Everywhere I go, his spirit continues to follow me. Well, since you can't run or can't hide from God's presence, what you can do is you can rebel against him. You can sin against God. You can walk out of his will. You can fall into disobedience. You can fall into rebellion. And that's exactly what Jonah has done here. Now, why did Jonah rebel against God? Well, first of all, Nineveh was a wicked place. Nineveh was not known as, as one of the world's most friendly cities. Matter of fact, uh, the, the Iraqis used to be called the Assyrians. And they were an ancient people that uh, they were cruel and they were heartless. The historians, historians have have found ancient engravings of, from the days of the Assyrians that depict that uh, they were a people group that when they would f- fight other nations, they would torture them. It was brutal. They would actually wear skulls around their neck to show their cruelty. Um, when the Assyrians would come into a town and they would overtake it, um, if, they would, if there were any survivors in the town, they would take those people and they would impale them on stakes and put them at the entrance of the, of the city gates just to make a point to all of the other surrounding nations. You don't mess with the Assyrians. And so for Jonah to go to Nineveh was not a vacation. For God to call Jonah to go to Nineveh, I mean, was not an easy calling because the message that God gave Jonah to preach was pretty harsh. Now think about this. In light of what I just told you about the Assyrians, think of how Jonah must have been feeling about the thought of standing on the street corner in downtown Nineveh, dishing out a little hellfire and brimstone. I mean, seriously, to put it into modern-day context, it would be like you, but it would be like God asking you to leave Atlanta and to go to the Middle East and to stand on any street corner in any country in the, in the Middle East or maybe even like a little city in Iraq and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Any other road will lead to hell. Think about that for just a moment. All right? Think about that in modern-day context. That's what God is calling Jonah to do. 
And so Jonah is a wicked, Nineveh is a, a wicked place. But the message that God gives Jonah is a very, very harsh message to preach. Now, one of the things you're going to find out in verse 4 is that Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah had a deep hatred for the Ninevites. The Assyrians were the enemies of the Israelites. And the Assyrians, they had evaded, uh, invaded Israel several times. And I'm sure that Jonah had either seen firsthand or he had in, heard incredible stories of brutality that the Assyrians had practiced on their enemies. And so for Jonah, he had a lot of reasons to hate. He had a lot of reasons to fear the idea of going to Nineveh. But God loved Nineveh. Even after all of the brutal things that the Assyrians had done to Israel, which was God's own people, and all of the things that the Assyrians had done to other people groups around the world, God still wanted to save the city of Nineveh. He knew that Nineveh was ripe for change. Nineveh was ready to believe God. I remember back in 2004, um, I had the opportunity to travel with several other pastors to Egypt. And uh, we went to Cairo and actually went to a couple different cities around uh, Egypt, Alexandria, and a couple other places. And um, I remember I, I, I'd been to Israel before, which obviously there's um, a lot of Muslims that live in Israel, but I had never been to a country where, um, you know, five times a day, everybody pretty much in, in the country, you know, when the call goes out of the, of, the, of the synagogue, five times a day, people basically hit the ground and they pray to Mecca. As a matter of fact, we were walking through a, a mall at one point, and I was with a bunch of other guys, and people, you know, they carry these carpets under their, under their arms. And all of a sudden, you hear the call go out from the Jewish, or the Jewish, the, the Muslim mosque, and um, everybody just hit the ground. And it was, it was a very, kind of a very weird feeling, you know, to walk around and everybody's praying on the ground. Wherever that call went out, boom, you hit the ground. And I remember standing on the 10th story of, of the hotel that I was staying at. I went on onto the balcony one morning, and I, just, I said, God, here's the deal. If you want us to come to Egypt, if you want us to engage the Middle East, you're going to have to break my heart. You're going to have to break my heart for this people group. You're going to have to break my heart for, this, for, this, for, for what's going on here because this is so outside of the box. This is so different than what I'm used to. This is so difficult to get my arms around. And I want you to think about this morning, if God called you this morning to go to a place like, let's say, Kabul, Afghanistan, or Tehran, Iran. I mean, it would be a tough call to follow, wouldn't it? To think about going to a Muslim country today and standing on a street corner or going there and proclaiming a message that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and all other roads lead to hell. I mean, that's a scary thought, isn't it? But that's what God has called Jonah to do. He has called him to go to Nineveh and to tell them that they were an evil people group and that God was getting ready to bring his wrath down upon them. However, as we see, rather than obey God's call, as the Bible tells us, Jonah tries to run away from God. Jonah thought that by practicing or that by traveling 2,000 miles west to, to a place called Tarshish, that somehow or another he would escape God's calling to go east. That somehow God would overlook the, his, his disobedience. That somehow he would give him a free pass to sit this assignment out. But as we're going to see, God doesn't change. He doesn't forget his assignment based upon Jonah's action. God doesn't call someone else to go to Nineveh to replace Jonah. God says, stays right on Jonah's trail. He keeps chasing after him. And consequently, God gives us an incredible insight, not only to his own character, but he gives us in insight to the fact that you can never, ever truly run away from God. You can hide, 
but you can't run away from him. So how does God deal with Jonah? How does he deal with him? Well, all of a sudden the Bible tells us that here's Jonah goes into the boat. He pays his fare. He's in this port city called Joppa. He gets into this boat. He's heading west to uh, Tarshish. And all of a sudden the Bible describes that a tempest came upon the boat. Like hurricane-sized winds and force. The seas were raging. And in the midst of this, Jonah decides, everyone's freaking out on the boat. And Jonah decides, I'm going to go down into the hull of the boat and I'm going to catch a nap. It's a little strange. And the rest of the sailors, the captain, they're trying to figure out what's going on. The Bible describes that they begin to pray to their own gods. Jonah knows exactly what's going on. He goes down into the hall, and the Bible says he falls into a great sleep. And the captain of the boat goes down, and he wakes up Jonah, and he says, Listen, you need to get up, and you need to begin to pray to your God as well. That God will save this boat. Your God will save this. Everyone else is praying to their gods. You need to pray to your God. And they decide to cast lots to see who was at fault. They knew something was up. I mean, they're throwing cargo overboard. They're trying to lighten the load of the ship. I mean, the boat is rocking. The seas are raging. And Jonah comes up and he says, here's the deal. I'm running from God. God told me to go to Nineveh. I'm on this boat with you guys going to Tarshish. And these guys are going, oh, wait wait a minute. We, we can't deal. You're God. You've got to do something here. So they cast lots, and they find out, Jonah, obviously Jonah's the, the problem here, and Jonah says to them, throw me overboard. And they're thinking, no, we're not going to make this God even more angry by taking this guy and throwing him overboard. And Jonah says, throw me overboard, and the seas will calm. And they're like, uh-uh, we're not doing it. So they start rowing as quickly as they can to try to get back to the shore. And Jonah's like, it's not going to work, guys. I'm running from God. And so they pick him up and they throw him overboard. Now I want to make a point here, if I could, for just a moment. Your disobedience and your sinfulness rarely just impact you. Almost always, it almost always impacts those around us. When we fall into a state of rebellion, a state of disobedience, a state of sinfulness, especially those around you, especially those who are closest to you, they are impacted by your rebellion. And that's what we find in this story. Well, look at what happens here. And the Lord appointed, I love that, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I want to kind of give you a progression of events of what takes place from this point on. We're going to go through chapter 2 into chapter 3, all right? But I want to give you just kind of a progression of what takes place here, all right? First of all, Jonah's rebellion brings God's grace. Now I want you to use your imagination for a moment and I want you to imagine Jonah's dilemma and I want to kind of, if I could, borrow some thoughts from Chuck Swindoll for a moment. Here's what he says. It had to be pitch black. Imagine gastric juices sloshing over you, burning your skin, eyes, throat, and your nostrils. Your oxygen is scarce and the air that you do get is saturated with salt water. The smell of fish and partially digested food overwhelm your senses till the point that you are constantly heaving. Anybody leaving yet? All right. Everything you touch is nothing but slimy stomach material. Every time this fish takes a dive or a turn, you feel like you're on a slip and slide full of digestive digestive fluid. There's nothing to keep you warm from the clamminess of the sea. And then Chuck Swindoll says, for three days and three nights, Jonah endures the harsh womb of God's grace. Now, sometimes we like to think of God's grace in the realm of warm and fuzzies. 
But grace doesn't mean that God gives you what you want. Grace means that God gives you what you don't deserve. And here's Jonah in total rebellion with God. He probably deserved a nice resting spot at the bottom of the sea in Davy Jones' locker. But instead, God gives him three full days to think about his disobedience inside the stomach of a big fish. I love what Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, I want you to know God's grace is everything that we sing about. It's amazing. One of my favorite songs is that God's grace is more than enough. It's enough. But grace is more than that. It's not always a warm, sunny day. It's not always a wonderful experience. We need to understand when it comes to God's master plan for mankind, God is much more interested in carrying out his plan for kingdom expansion than he is in fulfilling our personal agendas. He's much more interested in our obedience and our holiness than he is in our happiness. And I can tell you from personal experience, from one who has spent some time running from the call of God, moving into a time of rebellion in his own personal life, I can tell you that our sin and our sinful desires and our disobedience and our rebellion can never overpower the grace of God. God's grace was stronger than Jonah's rebellion. I want you to think about that for a moment. God's grace was stronger than Jonah's rebellion. And so God brings Jonah exactly what he needed to get him through his rebellion. Three days, three nights, and all-inclusive inside the stomach of a big fish. God's grace then brought repentance. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand what the word repentance means. The word repentance means to think differently. It means to reconsider. It means to have a change of heart or a change of mind. If you could think about this for a moment, if you were living for three days and three nights inside of a huge fish you would have some time. It would cause a person to think differently about their sin, wouldn't it? Now, I want you to look at for a moment what it took to get Jonah to change his mind about his rebellion. Three, several steps here. As Jonah is inside the belly of this fish, there's several things that are going on. Jonah begins to pray in chapter 2. First of all, he steps just some steps to repentance. He begins to pray. I want you to listen to his prayer, and I want you to listen to the distress in Jonah's voice. He says in verse 1 in chapter 2, he says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. He came up with a name for the fish. He called it hell. He said, I cried. I cried and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now Jonah is in the water. And he's being engulfed by this just incredible amount of waves. The turbulence of this storm has just created this literal hell for him. And he's now sinking to the bottom of the floor of the Mediterranean Sea. And out of nowhere, he is swallowed up by this great fish, this huge fish, which again, he refers to as hell. And he says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. And I can imagine that, that Jonah's prayer probably went something like this. God... I'm at the end of myself. Help me. I have come to the end of myself. I need you to help me right now. There probably wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to say much more, but it was obviously enough. Now I want you to, I want you to think for a moment how powerful prayer is. 
and what it takes sometimes for us to get ourselves, to, to, to get the bot, to the bottom of ourselves before we cry out for God's help. We think sometimes that we've got to get out our journal, that we've got to spend 30 minutes in prayer, that we've got to go back to, you know, reading a couple chapters before God will truly hear us. But I want you to know, God responds to our brokenness. When we have a moment of brokenness, when we have just that moment of repentance, when you are sinking to the depths of yourself and you have nothing else to say, God hears with wide open ears the words, Lord, help me. Just help me. And then Jonah moves into a moment of faith. Verse 4, he says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters enclosed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. If you look closely at Jonah's words, he he reaffirms his faith in God. I want you to look again at what he says. Lord, he says, I look again to your holy temple. I was sinking. When I was sinking, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. In other words, God responds to our faith. It's just plain and simple. That moment of faith that we have. It's our, it's our faith, the Bible says it's our faith that pleases him. Even when you're sinking to the depths of despair and you, and you can't see a way up, even when, when you may just have the slightest speck of faith that you can muster up, I want you to know that it is powerful enough to move God's heart in an amazing way. And then we see this moment of confession. And it's very apparent that Jonah was sorry for what he had done. We don't see actual words of confession, but we, sen- we sense the humility We see the brokenness. There's a spirit of deep sorrow here. Jonah is obviously a broken man at this point. I love 1 John 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is a huge part of repentance. God longs for us to humble ourselves at just that moment where we realize that we are wrong, that we're in sin, that we're in rebellion, that we're in disobedience, and just simply say to him, God, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. When my boys come to me with a broken spirit, and they say, Dad, listen, I want you to know I am really sorry for what I've done. What's my natural reaction? Just a slap. No, I don't. Most of the time, most of the time, I grab them, and I hold them close, and I say, I forgive you. And it's the same with God. And then we see this moment of praise. Jonah in verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I want you to think back for a moment, if you can, to the moment that you realize for the first time in your life that things had been made right between you and God. I want you to think back about the relief. I want you to think about the freedom that you felt from guilt. I want you to think, if you can, about just the incredible feeling that you experienced at that moment. I mean, you wanted to tell other people what had happened. You wanted to tell people about the, 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 just the, the, what God had done. I mean, you, it impacted you so much. For some of you, you wanted to cry. You wanted to thank God over and over. You couldn't tell him thank you enough. Imagine what would happen if we could just live with that kind of remembrance and gratitude. If we could go back, if we could just take, I mean, just 
to live in that moment of thanksgiving constantly. You know what I think it would do? It would take care of all of our pride issues, wouldn't it? Pride, what pride does is pride takes our eyes off of, when we, pride takes, puts our eyes on ourselves. Praise takes our eyes off of ourselves, and it puts them on God where they need to be. And then we see this moment of commitment. Verse 9, what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah makes a commitment to God that because of, deliver, of his deliverance, he's going to obey God from here on out. There was going to be no more running, no more disobedience. Jonah had come to a place of true repentance. And I want you to look at what happens next, okay? And I get a little bit crazy with, the word, with, with words that start with R here. My seminary professors would be real proud of me, okay? It just kind of happened. Jonah's repentance brings release. Jonah's repentance brings release. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. This is where all the kids in the crowd go, Oh, I like that the fish puked, all right? The fish had an upchuck moment, all right? Yeah! But I want you to know Jonah wasn't, he wasn't just released from the stomach of the fish. Here's what happened. He was released from the guilt of his sin. Imagine Jonah sitting on the beach, completely worn out from the experience of being inside the stomach of this fish for 72 hours. He's covered from head to toe in the contents of what was at what, whatever was inside that fish's stomach. And yet, he's free. Forget the fact that he's free from the boat. Forget the fact that he's free from the storm, free from the near-drowning experience in the stomach of the fish. This is a guy who is now free from the guilt of his disobedience. He's free from the guilt of his past. He is, he's free from his, rebelli- from his rebellion. Here's a guy who is made right with God. What an incredible place to be. Who cares about what he, I mean, who cares about what his physical being looks like at this moment? Here's a guy who's just, he's sitting on a beach after having gone this unbelievable traumatic experience, and yet he's free from the guilt of being disobedient to God. His release then brings renewal. Chapter 3, verse 1, and then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. Now listen, when you come back to God after a time of rebellion, he will most always, if it's feasible, bring you back to the same calling or the same assignment that he gave you before you rebelled. And this is exactly what happens to Jonah. Look at verse 3. So Jonah rose, arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God not only renewed the call to go to Nineveh, but Jonah renewed his relationship with God. And God met him there on that beach. He lifted him up spiritually. He lifted him up up emotionally. He renewed his spirit to travel over 550 miles to carry out his plan. Look at verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. I want you to imagine this now. He calls out, walking through the city of Nineveh, all right? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, at just saying that, it says that the people of Nineveh believe God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth cloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, again, Nineveh is a, is a huge city. It's the capital of, at the time of Assyria. It was nearly eight miles wide just within the walls. I mean, its boundaries, I'm sure, spread way, way beyond the walls. And when Jonah gets to Nineveh, he walks through the city basically saying eight words. It was actually five words in Hebrew. 
And he just begins to say, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's the world's shortest revival message. And the fear that, that Jonah had is replaced at this moment with boldness. The apprehension that he had even about going to Nineveh all of a sudden is covered up with godly confidence. Now listen, Jonah still didn't like the assignment. You just need to know that. But God was there giving Jonah the courage to face the Ninevites head on. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about this for a moment. What's the Nineveh in your life? What's the Nineveh in your life right now? The thing that God has called you to that you've said no to. The relationship that God has called you to that you refuse to fix. The sin in your life that you refuse to confess before God. What's the Nineveh in your life right now? And then we see renewal bringing revival. Renewal brings revival. Look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne. Listen, zone into this because it's really interesting. He says, he removes his robe and he covers himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Look at verse 10. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, I want you to get this picture for a moment, all right? The people have declared a fast. Everyone in town, from the richest to the poorest, have put on sackcloth. Matter of fact, they were, what, what is sackcloth? It, it is clothing that you put on to show humiliation. A lot of times it was used in a moment of grief. It was used as funeral garb. And there was this mass repentance going on throughout, throughout the town, so much that the king is affected by it. And he stands up and he takes off his royal robe and he puts on sackcloth himself and he calls for a citywide fast and he orders that everyone in town, including the animals, imagine your dog wearing sackcloth, all right? Everyone in town. And he calls for an end to the evil and the violence. Now listen, when you think about all of the great revivals that have occurred in the history, you immediately, what do you think about? You think about Scotland, you think about England, you think about people like Wesley, if you know anything about church history, you think about Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards or someone like Billy Sunday. But I want you to know that according to historians, according to the Bible, the greatest revival didn't take place in America, it didn't place in Euro- take place in Europe, it took place in Iraq, 150 miles northwest of Baghdad in Mosul which used to be called Nineveh. Jonah fell into deep rebellion, but his rebellion was met by God's grace. God's grace led him to repentance. His repentance led him to release. He was released. He was set free from the guilt and the shame. His release led to renewal, and his renewal led to repentance, and not just his repentance, but the repentance of thousands and thousands of people. I want to tell you something. Over the years, I have seen the power of what can happen when one person just repents and gets right with God. 
I've watched, I've watched men repent and entire families come to know Christ. I remember back in 1976 when my dad came to Christ. The impact that it had on my mom, the impact that it had on not only me but my, my brothers. I watched how it impacted my whole family around me. How people came to Christ because of one man's moment of faith, one man's moment of repentance. Listen, I've watched women repent of sin and families come back together. I've watched how children come to Christ as a result. Listen, God has incredible promise for those who come back to him in a moment of repentance. God has incredible promises for nations that actually repent and turn to him. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, It is my people who are called out by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll bring healing to their land. I've watched pastors repent and their church be just overwhelmed. I remember back in 1996, the year before we moved here, I had a chance, this, my wife and I just firsthand to watch our whole student ministry go through a time of revival. Every week, just, just tons of kids coming to Christ and what took place. It was an amazing thing. I want to ask you again, look at me. What, what's the Nineveh God is calling you to? What's the Nineveh in your life right now? For some of you men this morning, Nineveh may be sitting next to you. She's not evil or wicked, okay? But it's the thing you're running from. It's the full devotion you're running from. I want you to know, God never blesses a divided heart. And some of you men, the reason why your family is not being blessed is because you have a divided heart right now in your affection for your wife. Wives, same thing. I'm just being honest with you because I love you. You want God to bless your family, bless your kids, bless what you're doing, but you have a divided heart right now in your marriage. Mm -mm. Those of you who are students, listen, God's not gonna, God, the Nineveh in your life right now might be your parents. And you're running from God, trying to run from God. You're in disobedience and rebellion. And all God wants from you at this moment is to say, Lord, help me. He will meet you at your moment of brokenness. It might be your neighborhood. God has called you to reach your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac, your street you live on. And you're, you're just running. You're running from that call to, to obedience. It might just be a, a person. God has called you to make things right with a person, to reach a person, to, to extend grace, salvation to a, to a person through what Jesus Christ has done for us, to tell, just to bless them. We talked about bless a few weeks ago. Bless is an acronym. Begin to pray for someone. Begin to listen to them, eat with them, serve them, share your story with them. Who is that one person that God can, every time we get to a moment like this, God brings that same person back to your mind, and yet you have yet to respond to the call to reach out to that person. Is that your Nineveh this morning? What is your Nineveh? What is the thing that you're running from? Um, I remember years ago I read this little story in one of Max Lucado's book called No Wonder They Call Him Savior. And it's powerful. I want you to listen to it. Longing to leave her Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria, 
hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with the reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture taped on the bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner, uh, corner phone booth, And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. And Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed a small photo. And written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. She did. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you have run away from God this morning. You can always come back home. You can always come back to God. God wants to meet you at the moment, at your point of rebellion, at your moment of disobedience. He wants to cover you with his grace because his grace is stronger than your sin. His grace is stronger than your sin. He wants to bring you this morning to a place of repentance so that he can release you from your guilt, so he can renew your spirit, so that he can use you to bring others to the same place. And if you are trying to run from him this morning, my encouragement to you is to stop and to turn around and to run right back into his arms. I want you to bow your head. Lord, this morning we come to you having been taught an old story that is so relevant for today. And I know that in a crowd this size, Lord, there are those in this room that are trying to run away from your presence, doing everything they can to try to live in disobedience, thinking that somehow or another it's going to work for them. And Lord, it just doesn't. But your grace is enough. Your grace is enough to cover our sin. Lord, when you, we come to that place of of brokenness, of sorrow, you are there to cover us with something that we don't deserve, your grace, forgiveness, a renewed spirit. And my prayer this morning, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that somehow or another 
has a Nineveh moment in their life, is wrestling with Nineveh, that they would return to you, that they would come to the end of themselves in their brokenness and just cry out to you and say, Lord, help me. If you're here this morning, you've never truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. I, w- I want you to pray with me right now. Just, just say, God, I don't want to run another minute from you and what you have from my life. So this morning, I run to you. And I put my faith and my trust in you alone. And I confess that I've sinned and my sin has kept me from you. And I change my mind about what I've done and what I've been doing. And I ask you to be the Savior of my life this morning. Jesus, you are the Son of God. I confess that with my lips. You died and you rose again for my sins. Help me now to walk with you and to live for you every day of my life. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer, there's a, we want you to let us know you did it. There's a place in your worship guide for you to let, give us your information. There's a box that can be checked that says, This morning I pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Take it out to the help center on the atrium. We want to help you to take your next step on your journey with Christ. For the rest of you, I want you to stand if you would. I've asked Andrew and the, and the, and the band to sing a song this morning. Here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do, all right? If this morning you are running from God, your life is just a mess, you're, you're, why don't you run back to him at this moment? We have steps up here that you can get on your knees and just put, why don't you bring your Nineveh back to just put it in front of the cross and say, Lord, I just surrender this to you. Whatever it is, I say yes to it, Lord. I, I want you to know I'm sorry. I, I cry out, Lord, with brokenness and distress. Lord, I need forgiveness. I'm asking your grace to cover me. And so as we sing this morning, why don't you just come, just get on your knees. Let this be your altar this morning, all over this place. If you want to sit at your chair, that's fine. But I want to make you a promise, and we see it throughout this word, that God meets us at our moment of brokenness. And he meets us with something that we don't deserve, even on our best day, his grace. And his grace is more than enough for you today. Help us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name.